I think I originally called Barbara Scherr, the author refused to choose, the anti-Cal Newport, but I take that back. Welcome to the Project A Lab, the podcast here with the tips, tricks, and methods of getting stuff done to the test. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Mark. And today we're going to do a book review for actually one of my favorite uh, books out there from one of my favorite authors out there. That is Deep Work by Cal Newport. Before we get to that, though, what have you been up to, Mark? I have um, <laughs> continuing uh, the same thing for the past several weeks, this. which is nothing. Well, not nothing, nothing. So I, I can't say that I've been thankful for having um, TPL. Because it keeps me in a sphere of actually doing something and having to have something done, uh, some deliverables, you know, editing episodes yeah. and things of that nature. So other other than that, I would I would sip, simply be deep into the couch. Uh, you may not be able to find me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like hibernation season for you. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just... I'm trying to crawl out of it, but it's just been a, a, a strictly like I don't want to do anything. And the season kind of like sunsets at 530. Uh, it's colder outside. We're in Texas, though. It's like 80 degrees right now. But uh, but still, it's colder and the sunsets earlier, which is never fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's not not fun. But for me, it seems worse than last year, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, even though, you know, typically I, I do go into this season but it just seems a little bit worse than last year but um still doing something so editing uh episodes for tpl um i haven't been doing much for our social media because i'm like that that's extra and uh <laughs> so then um i did finish my copy editing course and final exam so i'm glad to start my six week break from that i did get an a on my final exam and oh, nice my congrats course so that's exciting. And uh, I won't start again my last class until January. And now I think I might actually add an additional class on that that should run for about half the time. And I'm going to take them both together. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see if I regret that. Uh, January, <laughs> the first three months of 2022 is going to be very, very hectic. So wow. we'll see how that goes. And then um, I finally uh, drew an illustration uh, for one of my uh, posts that I've been planning that I wrote so long ago and was planning to release. I looked at it and I instinctively wanted to just trash it, but I'm going to post it anyway. Okay. So yeah. I drew for the first time in months. Um, I haven't been drawing and procreate or anything like that. So I just quick quickly drew an illustration so I kind of felt pretty good about that so that's like kind of the most active I've been probably since like early October wow um, yeah it's uh we're recording this currently on December 4th yeah so it's been at least two months for you yeah wow uh, it's it's yeah and and I can tell by for my toggle time tracking <laughs> I've done nothing so that's kind of uh what I've been up to what about yourself i've also been doing classwork like you i actually had a crazy productive day yesterday uh we're coming to the end of the semester for my career writing class 
And there were a few assignments due today that I did yesterday during, after I got off work, since I do short days of work on Friday. And I just went to a favorite coffee shop of mine and just wrote and wrote and wrote. I had to do a book review for a book that was outside my typical genre that I read. Uh, that book, if anybody's curious, is In Every Mirror, She's Black. I cannot pronounce the author's name. I'm sorry about that. It's like Lola Actorstorm or something. I'll put, or Mark is, I think that's what I said. Mark will put that in the show notes. I'll just make note of it. Uh, it was a debut novel by a, uh, I was looking for a, so I mostly read sci-fi and like uh, horror and strange stuff, like uh, weird lit is the style I really like, which is kind of like, I describe it like Twin Peaks, but on paper. And I like that style, but I wanted to find something that was written by somebody who's completely unlike me. So that'd be a uh, non-white woman uh, who's from a different country. And this author is from uh, Nigeria. She moved to America. Now she lives in Sweden. So she's had multiple cultures she's lived in. And she wrote a book called In Every Mirror She's Black about, inspired by her life as a black, uh, I guess, half American, half Nigerian woman in Sweden. Uh, it was uh it was a good book. I enjoyed it. Uh, so I finished reading that. I'd write a book report for for class. And then I also had to finish writing a short story as well, since we do weekly or bi-weekly short stories, depending on the uh, uh, depending on the work week and so on. And we have one more week left of this class. I'm kind of sad to see it go, but I'm also excited for my new toolbox I have of tools I've, I've gathered in this class. And I'm looking forward to using them for some upcoming projects that I will not talk about just yet, but I have some deadlines set for me next year. What else have I done? I've been finishing a lot of books been reading a lot more. I've been reading through the wheel of time, uh, since, uh, the TV shows out and it's my partner's, well, it's one of her favorite book series. She's currently reading through the books right now as well. And the show's slightly ahead of me right now, which is a bit infuriating because I'm like, I've been reading so much. I've been reading at least a chapter a day and the show's still ahead of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Better read uh, faster. I know. But I, I had to read this book too, Deep Work, which we'll get to later. So that that took up a lot of time with that. But uh, yeah, I just had a I've had a very I've had a busy season, Mark. It's been the opposite of you. It's yeah. been pretty busy. I also incorporated some things from our planning episode, uh, where you mentioned they have you like define your focus, which is something that I've been really bad at. And mm-hmm. on my Kyle Band board slash planning board. I have next to my weekly and monthly task and goals. I now have a column that says monthly focus, quarterly focus, and weekly focus. So, uh, for example, my weekly focus this week was uh, classwork. Uh, my monthly focus this month is something that we'll talk about later in the episode, but it is inspired by this book. And my quarterly focus is right now, just since there's only one month left, is just to finish classwork. But I've uh, decided to incorporate the systems into my life since I've realized that focus is saying that I'm really bad at. So <laughs> <laughs> and nice. I think that between that, you mentioning that in the episode and then reading this book, I've had a bunch of inspiration hit me. So okay. I'm feeling pretty, pretty good about myself right now, at least my plans and systems right now. But nice. that's all thanks to this book we decided to pick up. Uh, which is a book that I'm happy we read and I'm surprised we haven't read it earlier. I think we've been talking about it forever about wanting to read it. Probably but we just, since the start. Probably. <laughs> I think Digital Minimalism was pretty early on for us and that was in our Cal Newport book. Yeah. Uh, another great book too, I'd recommend. But uh, this episode is a review of Deep Work by Cal Newport. And 
I guess I should bring up my history of it since I'm the one that suggested this initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cal Newport, for those who do not know, is a professor of computer science at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. He is a tenured professor there, I think. He's, I think, I don't know if he's like one of the youngest tenured professors there, but he's pretty young. He's still in his 30s, and it's hard to get tenure uh, if you're young. Uh, so good for him. Uh, but also on top of being a accomplished professor of computer science at Georgetown. He's also a accomplished writer, uh, mostly in the productivity space. He started out being a blogger about how to get straight A's in college. And I think that his insider knowledge of a, uh, of being a professor really helps with his, uh, uh, with his popularity since it's a professor telling you exactly like what they look for and everything. He published a few books about how to be a straight A student until, uh, eventually, I don't know what year this book came out uh, off the top of my mind, but eventually he then published his first book outside of the typical college scene for him. And that was so good. They can't ignore you, which is also not a great book. I've read it once. And then after that, he published deep work, which we're talking about this time. And then digital minimalism, which we talked about before, uh, Newport is one of those people that I aspire to be because on top of being a professor of computer science who publishes a lot of papers and teaches a lot of classes uh, and also being an accomplished author. He's also an accomplished podcaster now, which you mentioned his podcast before in the show, Mark. Mm -hmm. And he's also a father of, I think, two kids. And I'm just like, how do you have time for all this? And that is something he talks about in this book, Deep Work. I have a lot of that's in this book, but I want to hear your thoughts first, Mark, uh, since this is kind of newish to you. You've read digital minimalism before and you listen to this podcast, but you haven't read this book before. What were your thoughts on this book? We'll get your thoughts first and then we'll go through the methods. Um, my thoughts, like it's something that I, <laughs> sorry, it's kind of hard to gather my thoughts. Even okay. Well, let me, let me go through the thoughts. process then. As you, as you gather them, this might help you. Let me go through what deep work is and we could go from there. No, no, no okay, that, yeah. that's fine. I can cover that as well. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> So just a little behind the scenes right here. Uh, our <laughs> book reviews are always chaos and hopefully are sitting in the edits. Yeah, there's I, I just have so much to to think about the book. So it's, yeah. it's like, what do I grab first? So with the thoughts on the deep work, I kind of got into it again based off of listening to his podcast, Deep Questions, which covers the topic of deep work a lot. Uh, that's what a lot of his listeners are writing in questions, and that's primarily what he's discussing. He typically has one particular idea or topic that he wants to focus on in that podcast, and then he focuses on a lot of the questions about people are asking how can they work deep when they do X type of work mm-hmm. or you know whatever. So that was kind of my first introduction into the idea of deep work. And I've been enamored with it. Now, I was rolling into, I've always wanted to read this book mm-hmm. um, since you mentioned it. And I was like, okay, deep work. I kind of like the concept and idea of that. But we read Digital Minimalism. Mm-hmm. And I must note that that had such a profound impact on me mm-hmm. after reading that book and our challenge with that that I've drastically reduced my social media <laughs> usage. Yeah, that book is very good. 
Yeah, I, I do use Twitter, but it's heavily filtered because I use TweetDeck. Mm-hmm. So I filter what comes to me, what I see, what I consume with that. And I recently just straight up deleted my Facebook. Not that oh, wow. I actually used it anyway. I only used it for Austin podcasters. And since yeah. I no longer run that community, uh, there wasn't any reason to stay on there because I really hate Facebook even though I use Instagram sparingly, I know. Um, but um, so that book had such a profound impact. And the insights that I was gleaning from Deep Questions podcast kind of made me want to get more within deep work. Mm-hmm. So overall, when reading the book, uh, there was just a lot of information and e- examples, uh, plenty of examples of things that we've heard of, mm-hmm. uh, plenty of ideas that we've come across and read in other books and focus mm. in other books, such as was the Zeigneric uh, effect, which is AKA scatter focus. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we'll probably come into this later, but it's, it's in the section regarding uh, the necessary or the necessity of having downtime for your deep work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and how that aids it and the recovery of that. And it went into the Zagneric effect, probably pronouncing that wrong, but <laughs> yeah. So it, it covered a lot of ideas that I felt were very pertinent to where I'm, I'm at and where I'm trying to focus mm-hmm. and what I'm trying to, to do. It had some, Things I already knew and things are I'm already practicing, but mm-hmm. also a flip on certain things, as he says, instead of trying to reduce the uh, amount of distractions, how much, how about you reduce the amount you focus? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So we'll talk about the strategies later, but yeah, there's some good things on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, so there's just quite a lot for me uh, in this book and uh, to pick up. And even then when I was trying to, I got done with it. I made like lots of highlights. And then I was trying to go back through to synthesize my uh, thoughts on it. And I'm rereading it. So I, I think it's, it's going to be something for me that I'm going to have to read again mm-hmm. to kind of cement some of the ideas uh, and, and try to slowly pick out things to incorporate. And I'm kind of looking forward to reading it again, even mm-hmm. though I listen to his podcast. I think his podcast is probably a good representative of the ideas and the topics within this book, just in a more conversational yeah, format. Yeah. So you won't go wrong with reading that. So what is deep work? Yeah. So are you asking me? Are you asking me or are you doing a, hypo- are you doing a rhetorical question? I was doing a rhetorical question. <laughs> okay. All right. If you wanted to find it, go ahead. Because I was then going to give the, the, the answer for a quote uh, or a okay, right. from this book. Go on. Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> I was referring my notes. <laughs> so what is deep work? Uh, it's the ability to focus without distraction on a cognitively demanding task. So, or in... See in a other examples, right? It'll kind of be deep work is particular activities that you're doing mm-hmm. uh, that's performed in a state of distraction-free concentration, yes. and with that, there's different philosophies that one can apply when doing deep work. So it's not just oh, it's distraction-free, but there's different methods or philosophies mm-hmm. that you can take on to accomplish that deep work 
based on the type of work that you have. And I know you have a question about me uh, concerning that, and we'll pro- and we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get later. to that later. <laughs> um, so th- I'll kind of hand it back over to you. That's kind of like my high level thoughts on the book and my relationship to it in entryway regarding uh, getting the podcast first and then going back mm-hmm. to uh, read this particular work that spawned the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, your uh, your definition of deep work, I think, is spot on, which uh, is just that is very simple in its meaning. We were like, why does this have a whole book about it? But it's basically deliberate, distraction-free work. That's pretty much all it is. But uh, the thing is that Newport mentions in this book, his big thesis is that as the world gets more connected, our deep work is growing thinner and thinner through either text messages that you get throughout the day, going onto Facebook, Twitter, uh, Discord, uh, Reddit, wherever, getting emails, keeping your out, uh, keeping your email client open the whole time. Uh, these things are all distracting and they are all demanding our time and attention in ways that we do not necessarily, uh, which is not necessarily healthy for us or our, our ability to produce good work because you can only, because whenever you break focus, it takes a while to get back into focus. And by the time you get back into focus, there might be another distraction. There might be another phone call. So his argument in the book is, let me see if you could find the quotes. I made note of it earlier. His argument is that the people that will excel in the future, especially as things get more and more automated are people that could uh, do deep creative work that works best with being solved with a human brain instead of a robot. And uh, his argument is that we need to learn these practices or relearn these practices again to able to master that and basically use the human brain to its full potential instead of having to rely on computers and automation. Uh, he calls it the new economy. Uh, and he says that there are two core abilities for thriving the, in the new economy. He says the ability to, the ability to quickly master hard things, uh, which I guess you could look into our ultra learning book review for that one. Yes. Uh, which is, and also, uh, the second thing is the second core ability is the ability to produce an elite level, produce at an elite level in terms of both quality and speed. He thinks that these are the things that will get people a huge advantage in the future, at least in the world of quote unquote knowledge work. Right. And And, and he called those two positions, the high skilled and the superstar. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think he has a article called like the superstar effect. I mean, I'll just write on our show notes really up later. but he, he's a huge advocate for superstars, which are basically people that are really good at their field. And his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, it all talks about that. Yes. And uh, I think he has a good point about it because uh, as things are getting more competitive, uh, you have to be a superstar to stand out to really make a difference in your life and others in that sense. So the, the superstar effect is super important and deep work is the tool to get there is his argument. But yeah, these are sometimes these things are easier said than done because our work cultures could be completely different. Uh, our like for me, I mean, I could probably shut down my outlook, but I don't. I just have it open all day. <laughs> I think a coworker of mine, at least for a while, he was doing outlook only during certain break periods, which is a smart idea. But there's like this pressure in a lot of office cultures to always be busy or always look busy, at least. And even working remotely, I still feel that pressure where I feel like I have to be at least doing something. So I have to have, yeah, like even doing slow periods, I have to have my, my outlook open just so that way if somebody does email me, I can immediately get back and that way they know that I'm busy. Although I might not be doing anything deep work, I might be uh, procrastinating on the deep work at that point because I have so many emails to get to 
And that's another thing that he mentions too, is I like that distractions feel good in the moment, but afterwards you kind of feel like crap. It's like, uh, I guess eating a lot of junk food. You're like, Oh, this feels really good. And then after you're done, uh, you're like, wow, I feel like the crappiest person in the world right now. <laughs> so, uh, he actually, there's a quote that I was going to bring up. Uh, let me see. He has some two quotes, which I think is a really true quotes. And it could explain like why people feel like they have like dead end jobs at times, uh, which is a work day driven by shallow from by the shallow, which he defines as shallow work as basically emails, distractions, right. uh, simple things that don't require a lot of cognitive ability. So a work day driven by the shallow from a neurological perspective is likely to bring is likely to be a draining and upsetting day, even if most of the shallow things that capture your attention seem harmless or fun. I could attest this personally. Uh, in my line of work, there is a lot of shallow work since we deal with like a lot of permitting and a lot of slow schedules. So it's easy to hit into these shallow snags and it's hard to get out of them sometimes. It's like you feel like you have to be doing the work, but after each day, I feel like crap. So I found, I've been trying to find ways to incorporate the sense of like a deep work in my life during these days, uh, whether it be like reading breaks, because reading takes a lot more cognitive ability, especially reading nonfiction like this where you learn new things. That, that really helps add more to my day of shallow work. And uh, even like days like full distraction, like slow periods, there's days where like I might just uh, not have that much to do because it's just a slow period at work. And if I, depending on how I spend that day, I could either feel like I'm fulfilled or not. It's a very deadly, it's a very dangerous chapter to walk into uh, the, the appeal of shallow work and distractions. Yeah, but I think that he has a lot of good points about that. And I, I do think he has a good point about how deep work knowledge workers will be significant in the future of uh, human creativity and ingenuity uh, mm-hmm. because things are getting more and more amid, which in theory should uh, free up our brains for doing more and more deep work. But that's not how the system works. We live in a system that really praises, not really praises, but really demands shallow work. He even mentions a quote. I don't have it off the top of my head. I didn't write it down, but it's going to be right now. He mentions the the former CEO of Yahoo, I can't remember her name, uh, but she had this whole culture around her company that people have to be busy or look busy at all times. And his argument against that is that that makes people never have deep work that they do. They just spend a lot of time on email or pretending to do email all day and they're getting anything done. Yeah, so I'm just saying thing about the open office floor plans being the exact same way as well. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, which I know you have experience with. <laughs> yeah, he does go into a whole section about, well, not a whole section, but he does discuss op- open off- office floor plans and that, you know, in which I think he noted like in there, like, oh, when there was, you know, quoting someone else, when they were originally conceived, it was, you know, for collaboration and all this. And it's like, no, that's no, that's not the case. They were originally conceived because startups didn't have money <laughs> for the typical office setup. Yeah. So you crammed everyone into an open floor plan. Yep. Right. You don't have to. You just put a bench row of tables and chairs <laughs> and that's it. Like you don't have to spend money on cubicles and, and all this other stuff. And I severely dislike open office floor plans because you can't focus mm-hmm. on your work there's constant distraction around you someone's on the call with the customer you mm-hmm. hear it you hear other side conversations you hear other people doing things there's nothing to buffer that noise so what a lot of people end up doing is wearing headphones like yeah if i got my headphones on yeah. don't bother me right 
or the offices end up building out these, you know, telephone booth like rooms. Oh yeah, people I've heard can of those. go to yeah. right. People can go into the room to focus uninterrupted, and it just gives this false idea or sense that you're being collaborative or anything of that nature, especially if you're working in a global team. Mm-hmm. Like, what does an open floor plan has to do with me? contacting or zooming someone in a completely different country Mm. like (laughs) like that has no impact and so i think like when it comes to past work i much prefer the you know the old style office that if you couldn't have your own dedicated office Mm -hmm. i think you do i'm jealous but (laughs) well not that i'm jealous anymore since i work from home yeah if you can't have a dedicated office we at least had like cubicle like settings right walled up you know you know they they lessened the sound impact and 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 things of that nature and you had your own private space to work within Mm -hmm. i much prefer that than sitting at a row of uh desk where there's like five of us lined up (laughs) and there's five people behind me like i absolutely hate that um, I much prefer uh, to work in a different kind of setting. And if I need to contact anyone, I'll reach out to them because they're trying to do their focus on their work and I'm trying to focus on mine. Mm-hmm. And it does, doesn't. And if I need them, I'll message them. Well, even if we sit in the same row, if you will, like then we'll get together and, and, and we'll hash it out. So, I, yeah, I didn't mean to go down that tangent. <laughs> Of the open. No, actually, uh, I'm really curious. Like, one thing that I wanted to get to in this episode was how our working lives work with the philosophy of this book. Uh, Mm. So, I know with you, you're doing with customers a lot. So, I don't know if your job specifically allows you to work, to do deep work, but I want to talk about these and then after that, go on to the strategies he talks about because he does account for these, uh, these kind of work styles that some offices might have or even some people's busy schedules might just not allow them to do normal deep work. But I was yeah. curious, like how does this book come off to you as somebody who deals with customers a lot and needs to be in contact with these people a lot more than say I do with our clients? Uh, first, I mean, first you have to understand for anyone that works support. And I know some people have negative views mm-hmm. of support, even though we're in the tech field, even tech people have negative views of people. <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's this whole thing. I know it's it's likely in any job, but really it's like, no, I you know enjoy the challenges of the day to day. It changes so much. Mm-hmm. You're not doing the same thing. You know, you you're just keeping you on your toes. You're constantly learning new things. Like there's you know there's that, but then you have some viewpoint of some people are like. Oh, I'm only getting into support so I can move on to a developer role or move no, on to yeah, some other yeah. role. Like, who wants that to be their you know thing or whatever? Yeah. Anyway, outside of that, <laughs> I don't know why I went into that rant. But in support, I've been in support for gulp two decades, <laughs> and <laughs> and um, so there's always an exception to support, or that in my mind. Whenever we come or doing anything like any of these challenges or whenever I read any books that talk about, oh, you should do this when you work from home and stuff, you know, any anything that deals with office work, if you will. Mm -hmm. I always have an asterisk in my mind, like 
it, it's not going to apply to me. Yeah. So I was going through and I still had the same thing. Like, it's not necessarily going to apply to me until, you know, you start reading the different philosophies. That, yeah, which that I will get to after we're done with this. And I found one that is the most applicable to my situation. So, again, it's 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 not that we can't always do those things like the, I understand, like no matter what company or I've been in, you know, every time we try to have to do something or uh, just take, you know, this time off mm. or just spend one day a week working on whatever you like. No, there's <laughs> none of that for anyone in support because we have to constantly be available. Yeah. So there's always we're always the exception mm. uh, whenever there's anything work related or um you know when people are trying to do vacations or plans or anything like that if you work in support you know that there's a, a big asterisk that's like uh that doesn't apply to me yeah that, that's unfortunate <laughs> yeah and, and so that that's the same thing whenever i read any type of um books especially right productivity books workplace workplace books there's a big asterisk that i have that mm-hmm. eh, that doesn't apply to me but it doesn't mean that i can't take some of the things that they discuss mm-hmm. and apply it uh in, in minuscule ways or in, in minor ways to kind of improve or kind of mm-hmm. tweak and so i can still use the techniques and things but my availability and focus is going to be so, uh, so much more splintered than the other worker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering what you thought about this. I, my job is a little bit more uh, able to have deep work sessions whenever my dogs aren't barking like crazy pups. Uh, I could easily do, easily do some deep work sessions in my job. Unfortunately, my, my complaint is kind of the opposite where these projects take up to like five years at times and the design, although iterative can take years to go through as like you go through permitting and uh, yeah. you get more and more updates from the people you're working with and you might have a design you've been sitting on since the first six months of the, of the projects that you haven't updated in the past four years because really it's fine. You just got hopefully that all the, all the, uh, everybody else is in the schedule with you and uh, everything goes right. But, uh, in my job, uh, deep work periods are actually pretty, they aren't an everyday occurrence. They're probably like a, like a once a week occurrence on average. And I really enjoy them whenever they happen. I usually turn on like some podcasts, typically a productivity podcast and, uh, just get to the design work, uh, or music as well. If I really need it, if I really need to focus, I'll turn on music and mm-hmm. get to that. But, uh, it's kind of hard to do like deep work when it comes to like filing for permits all the time, but uh, it's just part of the job. Like the part of the nature of working in utilities is that a lot of the work you do, even as an engineer, isn't actually engineering. It's more like project management. There's actually jokes in our department that we're basically project managers who also are engineers. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, we don't keep the schedules, though. We actually have a project manager department that keeps the schedule and the budget. We don't do that stuff, uh, but we do everything else ourselves. So the project yeah. manager is there to like, make sure that we're in check or like, to keep us in check. They're, 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 they're the fire beneath us, uh, to, but everything else we do on our own. Uh, for the most part. So in my case, deep work is not necessarily saying that you come across all the time either. Uh, but mm-hmm. for a different reason, it's because there's, uh, things just move slower in my industry, but whenever it does happen, I feel really good. Like I had a few deep work sessions this week and it felt great. So that, that's always been, that was being good for me. But with that being said though, 
Uh, Newport th- does, though, talk about different strategies to apply deep work in- into your life, which he calls philosophies, which I think is not the right word to use. I think strategies is just a better word. I think yes. philosophy is like why you wanted to de- deep work, which actually I want to get to at the end as well, because I found a lot of applicable things in this book to my own personal side projects, which I value a lot. And But before we get to those, though, his philosophies slash strategies um, are as follows. Uh, monastic, which is the approach of where you get rid of all shallow work and distractions from your life as much as possible. You're basically going like, go, you're becoming like a monk at this point where you just yes. get rid of everything, which is actually my dream right there is to do that, to get rid of everything, but that's not possible, especially uh, with our working lives. And so monastic doesn't really work too much for me. And probably doesn't work for, well for most people, which Newport even says this is not saying that's applicable to most people, which I'm always happy when authors say stuff like that. Uh, he even talks about, uh, I don't think he, uh, he might talk about himself not being monastic as well. I can't remember what style he said he was. I think it's something that's later on this list, but he mentions uh, an author that I like, Neil Stevenson. He's written like, he writes a lot of sci-fi. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's very monastic in his approach, which I guess doesn't surprise me because he wrote a book called Anathem, which I actually haven't finished, but it's a book about scientific monks that they all live in like this big, like a uh, complex slash commune where they just focus on science and philosophy 24 seven. And that's their whole goal is like, they're just scientific monks. It's like the ultimate academic experience, but they're not allowed mm-hmm. to see the world for, uh, except for like every think five to 10 years. So they're, they're, they'd be inside the whole time. But considering that, uh, Newport defines him as Stevenson as a monastic author. It makes sense that he'd write monastic uh, characters into his stories. But yeah, monastic is the first one. The next approach is a little bit more pl- apl- applicable, which is, I think, one that we could all incorporate into our lives, which is bimodal, which is that you have two modes in your life. You have deep work mode on and deep work mode off. And that could usually be done through time blocking uh, is the, probably the best way to do it is to have deep work things blocked into your time. It's usually like, say like for me, I'm a morning person. It would be like having the hours between nine to 12 are the times where I eliminate as much distractions as possible, which is actually something I'm trying to do now. And uh, that's uh, the, the, bimodal, the bimodal approach, which is just basically scheduling things out and having on and off into your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is rhythmic, which is, a habit-based version of deep work where you say every morning at seven o'clock, I'm going to sit down and write for an hour or every day after work, I'm going to go and study a new computer, a new programming language for two hours. It's a rhythm. He says, he mentions Jerry Seinfeld's method, do not break the chain, which we reviewed so far. Uh, That is the rhythmic habitual approach, uh, which I think works very well, but he also mentions, I think, I think one of the more interesting ones, which is the journalistic approach, which is inspired by Walter Isaacson. He is a biographer and a former journalist. I think at the Times, I could be wrong about that. He's my favorite biographer of all time, Walter Isaacson. He wrote the famous Steve Jobs biography. Uh, he wrote a really good one, good one on Da Vinci, which I recommend to people, and another good one on Ben Franklin. He mentions about Walter Isaacson. He finds like gaps in his day that he just like sit down and like write for half an hour to two hours, depending on like how much, how big the gap is. He just goes straight to it, writes nonstop and research nonstop. And then after that, he's done. He puts it down and then he goes somewhere else. Like he does. A, it's a very, it's a very, uh, 
intense way to do deep work because there's no set period. You just kind of do it whenever it's available, which actually I really like this journalistic approach. I'm going to try to prove I want to apply it to my life now. But <laughs> Newport mentions that at least he used to be like this. Whenever he was writing, I think, so good they can't ignore you. He was mm-hmm. finding time between classes uh, to write. He was uh, basically any any free time he had before, I think, 5 p.m. whenever he left work, uh, he would just sit down and write so good they can't ignore you at the time. And he also mentions he was also writing deep work in the same way as well. He mentions like when he sees his in-laws, they help care for the kids. So while they're taking care of the kids, he'll go to one of their spare rooms and just write for a couple hours. I was just funny because I read that part when I was seeing my partner's family. <laughs> so I was like, oh, look at that. And I actually found some time to write while I was seeing them doing Thanksgiving. And then there's also some other ways he mentions as well. These are uh, mentioned later on the book, but I'm going to put them in this uh, whole approach to deep work. Uh, one's a grand jester which is like you say you traveled to like a cabin in the woods for a week, which I know you do sometimes, Mark. You do writing retreats. You do yeah. a grand gesture where you go out there and you say, I'm just going to go here, write all day, and at the at the end of the day, you relax and do whatever you, what you want. But it's like a way to kind of change your environment, get something fresh, uh, leave all the baggage behind of your current house or apartment and just head to a hotel room or cabin or Airbnb and just turn things out. I've always wanted to do grand gestures, but it just has never worked with my schedule. Uh, <laughs> another one that he also mentions too is the deadline approach. I think he gives a different name, but when I was skipping my notes, I didn't highlight what it's called, uh, which is the approach of you find a task you want to do. You give yourself a time estimate on that task and you make a deadline much sooner than that, than that time estimate. So you say like, this thing's going to take me two months to complete. Say, okay, I'm going to make a new goal now. It's due by the end of the month. And that way you have the deadline to really motivate you, which I, I like this idea, but I feel like that's something you can't do in the long term. It seems like a short term method because it seems like it'd lead to burnout very easily. But like if you really do like want to hammer out something in it over the course of like uh, a month, it's a good way to go about it. I'm trying to actually bring this into my life now with some projects I'm working on. And then also he mentions this is a little bit of a, this is kind of tension to do all these, but he also mentions doing productive meditation during deep work sessions, which is basically you take a break, you take a walk, you unplug from everything for like half an hour and let your mm-hmm. brain figure things out in the background. It's not necessarily a deep work method, but it's a deep work way of like solving these problems because working deeply can only do so much. So those are all the approaches to deep work. I personally am a fan of bimodal and journalistic approaches. Uh, I think that I, those work best with my brain. I'd love to do grand gestures and monastic stuff, but those are too hard for me to currently do and rhythmic. I kind of do, but it's kind of hit or miss on that. So with all these methods, do you have any methods that you tend to stick around Mark? Yes. Um, so for my day job, (laughs) it's more of a journalistic approach. Um, so whenever I can do deep work, I do deep work. So let me kind of clarify a bit. So the, the primary of my job, is in support so when customer open cases we hop on those cases right Mm -hmm. and you're hopping and you're bouncing from each one to each one so in a sense uh there would you would think that that would be some deep work but some of them are very shallow and it doesn't require intense focus so so that's why it's kind of this iffy thing because then I can have a case that does require deep work, meaning that I need to highly focus. I'm trying to reproduce an issue. I'm, you know, creating VMs. 
I'm reinstalling software. I'm testing, you know, different versions of software. I'm going through source code, reading source code, uh, trying to identify where what it's doing, where it's failing. I'm reading thread dumps and analyzing heap dumps. And mm-hmm. You're not going to know what that stuff is. <laughs> but I'm chunking through a lot of data. I'm trying to reproduce the issue. I'm, you know testing against a database to write queries against the database to extract information. I'm reading through the source code, right? I'm doing all of those things and you need focus to do that. You Mm -hmm. can't have distractions. So in a way, in a sense, even though my job requirements to be highly available when customers are opening cases or, or trying to communicate, right? And we need to hop on those immediately work and get them out. There are those that we actually that take uh, a bit more time to delve into in which we need much more focus. We can spend I can spend half a day working on a single case, trying to reproduce and research uh, that case Mm -hmm. and then writing all of my findings up like a mini research paper (laughs) and communicating that to the customer or having calls with the customer. So I would, I would say that those portions are deep focus. Mm -hmm. Um, Some can be 30 minutes that, okay, I need to spend, um, I need to get deep on this particular case and uh, I need intense focus. So I'll throw on headphones, I'll get into that headspace Mm -hmm. and I'll dive into it to get it out. And then I may have a few others that are very shallow. Um, I have other things like responding back to messages on Slack and things of that nature. So it pops in and out. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think the journalistic kind of matches more. When I can do the deep work, um, I try to take advantage of it. So if we have a quiet period and I have cases that need more intense focus, I try to hop onto those. I then combine it, if you will, with the bimodal. Yeah, um, okay. So we're kind of similar in that way. Yeah, so um, now it's not every, uh, is it bimodal or rhythmic? Rhythmic is like an everyday practice, which I did not necessarily have. Bimodal is kind of like you have like a, you set a schedule for the day that you want to do deep work periods on. Yeah, uh, we can we can kind of go with bimodal we can try that (laughs) but um um so the start of my day there's much more people on my team available globally i then try to use that to either focus on getting the shallow stuff out of Mm -hmm. out of the way responses and and catching up and seeing where things are at or um, i try to use that to actually do deep work focus on projects that doesn't require me to be on uh, the queue. So there's other tasks that have my, um, that I need to complete as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does require focus and deep work. So when everyone is available during that time, I try to focus, uh, in the morning hours in a block of hours, set mm-hmm. of hours on those particular tasks to do deep work on. And then as everyone peels away or signs off for the day, in the afternoon, it's it's really just me and, and one other person, mm-hmm. uh, mostly. So then I need to be highly available to hop on cases. And so sometimes it's a mix, it's a mixture at that time of shallow and or deep work if the case requires. Yeah. But it, it's kind of like 
you're working, but you're keeping your eye on something else to make sure it doesn't bubble up. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not extreme focus. It, it's it seems like it can be that way. But like when we get into the afternoon, I'm having to also split my attention on the work I'm doing with making sure that nothing else is blowing up or being escalated. So it's not really intense focus, uh, uh, if you will. So I try to block it in the morning hours, but then it turns into a journalistic approach. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like me in the morning. I try to leave the time period, at least from after breakfast, straight to the around 8.30. I do the first like hour, hour and a half of work is just all, is all shallow work typically. And I just do that in the first hour and a half. Then whenever I want to focus, I get my breakfast, I eat breakfast, do the last of my shower work. And then I go straight to focus mode from about 9, 9.30 to about uh, the time I go to the gym, which is between 12 to 12.30. And that's usually my, that's whenever I get most of my work done. And after that is all shallow work. The afternoon is uh, usually like around three o'clock. I tend to get second wind. But uh, up until then, it's mostly shallow work mode. It takes a lot of effort to get me to focus after lunch. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that after lunch period is basically shallow work time. And then if I have some deep work stuff I need to get done or at least get started for the next day, I'll start again like around three and work from like three to four and then sign out then. I think that though these methods also could apply to our personal projects. Like I know every Friday I'm really into time blocking on Fridays since it's my best day for, pro, uh, for side projects. So mm-hmm. every Friday I tend to be very deliberate about my time. And uh, that helps with uh, my, I guess, by my bimodal approach to deep work, where I'll be like, okay, yeah. I'm going to be spending two hours at this coffee shop uh, for uh, working on some deep work. Okay. And after, this is what I actually did yesterday. Like, I went to a coffee shop for about two or three hours, uh, got some coffee, worked on stop on something pretty much with some small breaks in between. And then I still had a lot of creative energy, but the coffee shop I was at was closing down. So I cycled to my favorite brewery nearby grabbed a beer and worked out for another hour, hour and a half. That's because I all scheduled that out and it made it easier to focus. And I knew exactly what kind of work I wanted to do during these hours. And uh, that's just time blocking in general, which I recommend anybody who is curious about time blocking to look into it. I don't know if we, we reviewed it or not. <laughs> I think so. Okay, I'll put, if there is, it, I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. I'll just also add like for side projects, it's kind of the same where it may be bimodal uh, or journalistic. Uh, it's certainly not not rhythmic, but it may be again. So we have to note that that bimodal does turn into monastic. So when you are doing the deep work, it, it, it does turn into a mon, uh, mm. monastic and where you're focusing for a long period of time on that particular yeah. deep work. Right. And so, like like you said, the I guess the grand gesture when I do my writing mm. retreats, that's monastic. Um, I have a huge chunk block of time uh, where I would just sit and I focus deeply on writing, right? Mm -hmm. There's no other distractions or anything of that nature. And then to a lesser degree, all side projects, their time blocked out on when I'm going to be working on a particular project or what I'm doing uh, for that particular project. So, like editing, right? When we do our editing, uh, I that's time blocked. I'm focused, highly focused on that. Um, I do Pomodoro. So every 25 mm-hmm. minutes, I get up, take a break, walk around, and then I come back and I'm highly focused on that because that keeps me engaged uh, with what I'm doing. and keeps me focused mm-hmm. on what I'm doing. 
yeah, so it, it's it's still kind of the same approach, if you will, and kind of having a bimodal and a journalistic view, depending on the type of work that I'm needing to get done or the project that I'm working on. Yeah, uh, I think uh, we're almost at an hour mark and at the hour mark. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I think uh, before we leave, we'll leave some like, tips and tricks about how to incorporate deep work into our lives and uh, and your lives to listeners. Uh, for me personally, I'm, I've been a big fan of the, of the, uh, distraction blocker software called focus me. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it, I don't know if there's a Mac version, but there's also Mac versions for focus blocking or for distraction blocking out there as well. I think, uh, I can't remember what they're called, but anyways, uh, focus, my, uh, focus me is great because, uh, you get to set yourself to have like allocated time to different apps on your computer and different websites. So I have on my personal tablet. Uh, during work hours, I could only go on to say one of my biggest distractions, Discord, for five minutes per hour in the morning. And in the afternoon, when shadow work is more common, I do 15 minutes per hour in the afternoon. Uh, I have fo- I have Freedom also on my phone. These are both subscription services, uh, but uh, Focus Me actually has a free Android app, but Freedom I prefer. And I paid for the whole thing up front is like $120, but that means it's lifetime subscription. Don't need to worry about paying any extra. Uh, but freedom I, I use to block all distracting websites and apps on my phone during the work hours, at least up until one o'clock. And after one o'clock, it's only distracting websites until about six o'clock. And those help me just kind of keep myself in check because yeah, it's, we live in a world of distractions. These websites and apps are designed to steal your attention. I have issues with going on Twitter a lot of times and, uh, then I get so mad at myself for going to Twitter a lot that I just then block it for like the next month and then it gets back into my life again. <laughs> I want to be more mindful of that this time and I want to be more deliberate about my, about my Twitter usage and like use like TweetDeck like you do, Mark, uh, because TweetDeck yes. is a lot more, it's a lot easier to control what you see. Uh, it also does a timeline view so you see things as it's happening versus what Twitter thinks you'll like the most or at least you'll engage with the most as they like since Twitter doesn't thrive on good news, it thrives on bad news. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm going to use those more often in my life and also using a lot more, well, I do time tracking anyways, but being a little bit more mindful about the things I log in my time tracking. One thing I also want to lead off on is we, I think whenever we, whenever we reviewed Refuse to Choose, which is a great book we talked about a couple of episodes ago, I, yes. this is recent-ish, I think I originally called Barbara Sher, the author of Refuse to Choose, the anti-Cal Newport. But I take that back. Uh, this book made me realize that taking the philosophies of both deep work and refuse to choose together can make you one powerful person in terms of like getting things done. Uh, because refuse to choose is all about how to manage having multiple different interests and in different fields and managing your time and task and uh, yes. kind of determining like what kind of what kind of scanner are you, which that was the fun portion of our uh, review, I think. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, Cal Newport's like all about like specializing in one thing, but that's not true. I mean, the guy's a, a, a published author and also a computer science professor. Like he's, he's, he's in multiple fields and successful in all of them. But his reason for being that way is that he has uh, a really strong deep work focus in his life. So I think if I were to recommend Refuse to Choose, I'd recommend you read this book immediately afterwards. And after this book, read Digital Minimalism. Uh, those things that the suite of books you should read if you have multiple different interests, because if you're anything like me, productivity or creativity guilt from time to time, where you feel like that you 
are not using your time effectively and you feel like they should be producing more. And that happens to me a lot. And I think incorporating deep work set strategies into my life will make that way easier to uh, overcome and not feel that way as much anymore. Those days are going to happen no matter what. There's going to be days where you'll be low energy or your brain just can't think of anything creative. But mm-hmm. uh, you can minimize that time and really uh, make the hours of your day useful. Even if it's like for a hobby you find fulfilling, you could uh, find like good times to do that. Uh, but yeah, I think that I take back what I said in the episode. If I did say it in the episode, if not, I could have just mentioned it in a different place in my life. But I think that this is a good strategy to have for people like us who have a lot of interests and want to make the most use of our time here on earth. So to get a little bit deeper with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So those are the strategies and my, and taking back from uh, what I said in the last book review. Uh, do you have any strategies I may have missed, Mark? No, I, the only thing that I will add and that's in the, in this book and thinking about it, it's allowed me to, that's when I'm at my, the ultimate form of Mark. <laughs> These past several episodes have been the, <laughs> the, the complete opposite form of Mark. But when the engines get firing and <laughs> I'm running on all cylinders Actually, I prefer rotors. So when both <laughs> okay. rotors are You're spinning. You're the car guy. I'll take. <laughs> when both rotors are spinning, I um and I'm at the top of my game. And we all go through our, you know, peaks yeah. and lows. Yeah. You know, so that's okay. And again, I, I it, to kind of punch this with something, it's from the Deep Questions podcast. Mm-hmm. The concept that I really like that he stated is slow productivity. So when you look at the things that you need to do or that you want to do and you're questioning, we constantly talk about productivity being is being what you're intentional yeah, about. Yeah. So if your intention is to binge a Netflix show all day, yep. you're being productive yep. because that is your intention, right? So slow productivity, uh, that concept that he mentions on his Deep Questions podcast, is more about pulling out to look, okay, if my focus is to write, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have and then I have some sub goals based off the writing, um, but I'm trying to keep focus. So that's to publish a couple books, mm-hmm. right? Me taking a day off for, you know, in a week or taking a week off in a month. Mm-hmm may seem like it's detrimental to me but when you zoom that lens out over years and, and look at it from a slow productivity perspective mm-hmm. like i'm just going to take my time to uh, achieve the goals and focus and produce like i want mm-hmm. to and to be intentional about those things taking that week off isn't going to derail your productivity yeah. or anything like that right yeah so combine that with when i'm at my tip one of the things that they mention, he mentions in this book is, uh, and I've been trying to find a section, mm. is scheduling uh, every minute of your day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, right? yeah. And, uh, and, this thing that we yeah. forgot to mention is that he recommends scheduling, distra- dis- scheduling distractions, not scheduling focus blocks, which I think is a really good way to look at. Exactly. And that's super cool way to look at it because... Well, it's great because it makes it makes everything intentionally you do. Like it, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So like thinking about it, like when I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I start even my work day. I list out the things that I, I need to accomplish and hit and I, you know, check those off, get those done. 
but then also outside of work, what projects I'm working on, you know, my theme days and everything like that. And I have those time blocks of here's what I'm doing. Like from this time to this time, I'm eating mm-hmm. and I'm going to watch a show or a documentary mm-hmm. uh, while I'm cooking and eating. Right. And from this time, this time, I'm either going to be studying or not studying. He doesn't like the word. studying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he wants you to be very specific about what you're doing yeah. at that time. So I'll either be reading, uh, doing specific readings for my copy editing course, or I'll be writing an article from this time to this time. Mm -hmm. And especially on the weekends when I, there's lots of stuff I want to do. I know it's probably going to take me a few hours, like two to three hours, depends. Sometimes one hour depends on how fast I want to edit, you know, edit our episodes. Mm -hmm. I'll have a block of time that I'm doing that. And then I'm like, okay, these two hours, I'm going to eat and I'm going to watch a television show. Mm -hmm. So thinking about like uh, scheduling my distractions kind of make like makes you interested uh, or look forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's giving reward to yourself. Yeah. That's like why I have the, the, now I now have the timer on my computer for like checking like discord or something like that because like, it's like, okay, I got five minutes each hour make it count. And exactly. Exactly. And I didn't realize like sometimes I did that. Like I didn't plan. Uh, I never really planned, but there's been like a handful of times where I have my Pomodoro sessions and, you know, I wrote on my like uh, in my planner, like here's what I need to do. My 25 sprints and I have a checkbox for each sprint. And I'm like, OK, in the five minutes at the five minute break, I'm going to get up, walk around. I'm going to check Instagram mm-hmm. because I really want to see what's popping on Instagram. <laughs> Or yeah. I'm going to go check, you know, this video, TikTok video mm-hmm. that my sister, sisters keep sending me. I, I'm not on TikTok, but they keep sending me videos. And <laughs> I'm going to do that. And it made me look forward to it because then I can focus on the actual thing mm-hmm. that I'm doing for the 25 minutes. And I know that I have an internet break or something like that. So uh, I think that's something uh, that inverse of thinking is something that's going to be could be really useful and beneficial uh in your productivity so that's the only thing that i'll add is you know scheduling every minute of your day Mm -hmm. and uh when you're scheduling that schedule your breaks from focus instead of scheduling your distractions i'm a proponent for time blocking on days you really need it like i say fridays i tend to do it Mostly because I, I can only have so many hours that I get to my side projects, so I'm going to make the most of it work. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this book is great. There, we, there's still way more we could talk about, but I think we covered oh, the goodness. surface pretty well. <laughs> I think it's time to get to the, our final reviews. I think it's kind of obvious what it is. Uh, I'll start because I'll make it quick since I've been praising this this whole time. Uh, this book I read a couple of years ago. I really liked it. Turned me on to Cal Newport in general, and I've read three of his books so far. Uh, I think he's currently working on a book about the deep life, which is like part of, I guess, like his deep work series of books, uh, which I think would include digital minimalism into that book as well. Uh, so I think I look forward to, ref- I look forward to reviewing that book when it's eventually published on the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this book is one of those books where I realized how much I forgot about it over the years and I want to revisit it over and over again. Also digital minimalism, I want to revisit it over and over again. So I'm going to do what you did with Readwise and just say six out of five. (laughs) (laughs) I will say a disclaimer, though. This book isn't for everybody because he's writing for a specific kind of person in a specific kind of field. 
uh, because I, he mostly geared towards knowledge workers or people with hobbies that are more knowledgeable or knowledge-based, information-based yes. than uh, other hobbies and other careers. So it doesn't necessarily uh, work the same way for every field, but I think that a lot, a lot of the philosophies are applicable to people, at least in my line of work. And it's really, it's really good for my brain to read this. And these are personal, these are personal scores we're giving it, not like in a general sense. So if you're like me, this book is a much is a must read, uh, and I'll probably visit every two years or so. Uh, so that's a six out of five for me. <laughs> well, I guess since to be real, I guess it'd be five out of five. But you know, we'll say six out of five this time. No, no, we're keeping. All right. Yeah, for me, um, I again, I'm new to this book. I haven't read the book before, and as Kyle mentioned, there's still so much that we haven't even talked about that he talked about in this book. It's one of those productivity books where doesn't feel like a single word is wasted, which is odd to find yeah. in the world of productivity books. Yeah, it is. Um, so it's definitely going back on the list of books to for me to reread that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed. And again, even though I read it and trying to go back to get notes and synthesize information that I could understand and put into practice... I ended up rereading um, whole sections, which kind of elongated what I was doing. Um, I'm definitely going to be going back to read this. I would definitely recommend this book. And again, yeah, we need to build out like a pairing, a book pairing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So mine would be Refuse to Choose in Deep Work. Uh, that's my book pairs. Yeah. Like an, what's a, what's a great order to read these books? So hyperfocus okay <laughs> we're gonna throw a whole pantheon habits. of book reviews <laughs> we're gonna throw a whole pantheon of books here's the books you need to read and in what order anyway <laughs> maybe we should have a special really, episode about that like maybe they could be episode 100 <laughs> since that's gonna be a book review uh we could just turn into that we're just brainstorming ideas right here <laughs> exactly exactly um so uh with that said um i really enjoyed the book i really enjoyed this whole this whole deep focus or deep whatever uh, that he has going on. And uh, he's definitely become uh, one of my favorite writers, especially you know, D- Digital Minimalism was the first book that I read and I thoroughly enjoyed that. That had a big impact on me. And again, I've been reading, actually reading his articles that he published on New Yorker. So I've been reading his articles uh, that he's been writing on uh, there and enjoying his podcast. And I really enjoyed this book. So even though it's the first time reading, I just, I am a fan. So for me personally, I would give this um, a five out of five. Wow, this might be our highest review thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I love this book. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, maybe one of these days we'll eventually get around to doing the pantheon of TPL books to read. But in the meantime, you could check out all of our past book reviews and all of our reviews of different methods and techniques in productivity at theproductivitylab.show or tpl.show. You could follow us on Twitter and Instagram where we publish things occasionally, but very unlikely, uh, which is at Productive Lab on both platforms. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter where I'll publish uh, or publish. I keep saying publishing. <laughs> I'm just thinking about publishing a lot. <laughs> where I'll post occasionally, which is uh, at KyleSQ9, uh, where I'll uh, just kind of random things that come my way. And you could also find my personal blog at quadrant9.net. 
and my fiction writing at jonathankweb.com. Where can people find you, Mark? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at AskMarkio. That is AskMarkIO. You can also find my blog and writings at AskMark.io. Until then, stay productive. These deep work practices are also very applicable to things outside of our. Oh, now my dog's barking. <laughs> they always wait till we. Rec- <laughs>